What's up, Seacoast? Good morning. Good morning to you inside, outside, and online joining us. It's great to be with you. My name is Matt. Uh, first and foremost, I'm a child of God, and I also get to serve as one of the pastors uh, here at Seacoast. And I have the privilege of bringing the word this morning. Bringing the word is Christian slang for preach, just to let you guys know. I'm excited about doing that. We're continuing on in our series through uh, the book of Acts. And so if you've got your Bibles with you, go ahead and open those up, turn them on. <clears throat> Excuse me, turn them on. Let's go to Acts 15. We're going to be looking at verses 36 through 41 this morning. And while you're flipping there, tapping your way there, I have a question. Are baby books still a thing? You guys know what I'm talking about? Baby books? Not like kids' stories books, but baby books. These are the things that parents would, uh, would put together for their kids. It's like a scrapbook with all of these memories and mementos of your childhood growing up. Do you guys, anyone have a baby book? Yeah, okay. I'm not, so these were like a big thing in my home growing up. These were a big thing. My mom made them for all the kids. And I learned a lot about myself flipping through this baby book. I mean, you flip through it, you can learn about like, oh, here, what was my favorite toy as a kid? What were the first words that I said? Uh, what was my favorite food? Uh, there'd be baby, there'd be little pictures of me as a kid, and the cutest thing ever would be like the little handprints and footprints to kind of show how little I used to be. And then there's also some like weird things, like a little baggie of hair from, with clippings of my first haircut. <laughs> That's kind of weird. But the topper, the topper was, I'm not kidding, I was flipping through this baby book, it wasn't too long ago, flipping through, and all of a sudden I turned the page and was like, ah! I was a little startled, I was a little stunned, I was like, what in the world, it looked like a big bug had gotten smashed in between the pages, and I was like, oh, my, mom, what is this? She's like, oh, honey, that's your umbilical cord. I was like, <coughs> what are we doing saving umbilical cords? That's just, I mean, is that a thing? I don't know. So in my home, it was. Uh, and it turns out that these baby books are oftentimes family heirlooms. And so Archer gets to inherit the leftover uh, vocal cord one day. You are welcome, buddy. Uh, no, not to get us too far down this tangent, but I was thinking about how, in many ways, the book of Acts is, is kind of like a baby book for us as a church. It is. It's like we, we, get to, we get to look back and we get to see the birth of this church. We get to see the, the church in diapers kind of growing up, learning to walk in this way, this new life of grace. And we have to be careful not to, to quickly dismiss uh, the, the book of Acts as, oh man, it's so irrelevant because it's so old and ancient, archaic. Like, you know, we have to be careful not to dismiss it because the book of Acts really is our history. It's the history of the church it's our history. It's our story. And at the center of this story, at the center of this history, we see the unstoppable spread of the gospel by the power of the Spirit. You see, the book of Acts, it traces the spread of the gospel by the power of the Spirit. We have seen that nothing has been able to hinder, nothing's been able to squish that spread of the gospel by the power of the Spirit. I mean, you and I, we are here today because of what is beginning in Acts. We're here sitting in this room, out in the plaza, online, watching because of what's happening here. So this is very much a part of our story. This is our, our history. And as we flip our way through, 
the book of Acts, we get to see who we are. We get to learn about the purpose that we are created for. As we flip through the pages, I mean, we see little, little handprints and little footprints, these imprints that were taken 2,000 years ago that we are still part of today. You see, the mission hasn't changed. Several thousand years later, the mission hasn't changed. God is still at work. As we said before, the gospel swell that began 2,000 years ago, it's still reaching our shores today. And all of us, we are invited to participate in God's mission, His ongoing work of gospel saturation. I'm excited about what He's doing. As, as Ryan talked about, as he prayed, like, I'm excited about that, that mission that, that we here at Seacoast, that we all get to be a part of. And that, that God has brought each one of us here to this place at this time in order to participate in what he is doing here in North County, San Diego, and beyond. It's no mistake. It's no accident. We're a part of his unfolding plan. You see, the mission hasn't changed just as the early church what they longed to see was people to be, to see, they wanted people to see and savior, savor Jesus Christ as their Savior. To, to experience and express the forgiveness, the new identity, the freedom of Jesus in all of life. And so the, our goal here, week after week, I, mean, we, I want to close the gap here that, that we were reading about these old stories, but really, we want the truth of the gospel, the gospel of grace, uh, to be preached week in, week out, so that our lives would, would be shaped, motivated, and fueled to go and live life on mission in the everyday stuff of life. And so just in the same, same way that we look at a baby book and we, we get to see, we get to learn about where we came from and who we are, the book of Acts, it provides us this powerful reminder of who we are and the purpose that we are created for, where we came from, in our purpose. And so, sure, the, the, uh, the, the footprints might have gotten bigger. You know, we might have a bigger footprint now. Our handprints might be bigger. But our identity as God's church is the same. Our purpose is the same. You see, we're the same church with the same God, with the same gospel on the same mission that we're reading about. And so, with that said, let's jump into Acts 15. I want to give a some quick context before we jump into this story uh, for those of you who are new with us. Paul is with a guy, a man named Barnabas. Paul and a man named Barnabas, they are in a place called Antioch. And Antioch was the city where the, the people who believed in Jesus were first called Christians. And Antioch was home to the church that was the very the church that sent Paul and Barnabas out on their very first missionary journey. And today's story that we're going to get into, it comes right on the heels, right after this very important council in Jerusalem that took place. You see, this, the council that took place that we learned about last week, we actually learned that it was really, really good news, especially for those of us who are not Jews. It was really good, good news. You see, at this council, the apostles gathered together and declared that the Gentile believers should be fully welcomed and fully included into the church without having to keep all of the Jewish Old Testament laws, specifically circumcision. So this was really, really good news, especially for the guys. But that there was, the barriers had been removed. The barriers had been removed. There was nothing holding them back from being fully welcomed into the church. 
as Gentile believers. And so Paul and Barnabas, they get this news. The decision was made in, in Jerusalem. They head back to Antioch to deliver this amazing news to both the church there and the churches elsewhere. And so the story that we're looking at today, most commentators think that it takes place right around the end of winter. Things are, the weather's looking up. Things are getting a little, it's getting nicer. It's becoming a little easier to travel. And Paul, he's getting really antsy. He's like, Dude, I got, it's time to go. It's time to get back out. The weather's looking good. Let's go. Let's get back out there. And so he's about to embark on what, his, what is known as his second missionary journey. But as we're going to see, it gets off to a really rough start. But look with me at verses 36 through 41. What we're going to do is just read it all the way through and then come back and break it down. So verse 36. After some days, Paul said to Barnabas, Let us return and visit the brethren in every city in which we proclaimed the word of the Lord and see how they are. Barnabas wanted to take John, called Mark, along with them also. But Paul kept insisting that they should not take him along who had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. And there occurred such a sharp disagreement that they separated from one another, and Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and left, being committed by the brethren to the grace of the Lord. And he was traveling through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. And God, we pray this morning, Lord, that by your word and by your spirit, God, would you press down deep the message of your grace, of all that you have done, God, that you would press that down deep today and set the captives free. Pray this in your name. Amen. You know, there's a debate out there amongst uh, preachers, Christians, scholars, and not just them, but there's a debate on what kind of preaching is the best kind of preaching. And there's a, there's a version of preaching called expository preaching, and then there's topical, to kind of summarize. And expository is, you know, it's where you go through the text verse by verse, word by word, and you go through it expositionally, revealing, exposing Exposing what the text says And then there's There's topical where it's like we're starting with a topic And you're like what does God's word Say about this topic So two different approaches Neither one of them you know bad Or good like there's two different approaches And what I love about today's text Is really it kind of brings them together We're going to go through This, this text expositionally We're going to work through it but it also hits on A topic namely Mission, life on mission. We're going to look at that. So I love that this, this brings together those two. As I was reflecting this past week over these six verses, there were these truths that just kept popping out. I was like, oh, note to self, I need, oh my goodness, I need that reminder. That is so good. Note to self, that is, oh, that is so encouraging. Note to self, dude, that, that is hard. Man, that, but I, I, that resonates. There were so many of these things that just kept popping out, and I was like, getting really excited to share these with you this morning. I was really getting excited about it because we are all on mission together. As Sikos, as the local church, we are on mission together. Again, the mission is the same. What God is up to in, in Acts, He is still up to today. Working through His church, you and me, so that all might come to know and to trust Jesus. And so today, what I want to do is just give you five 
notes to self from this story that I pray encourage you where you're at. These are five notes to self that I believe we need to know as we go. We need to know as we go and to live our life on mission. So note to self, number one. Living on mission is an everyday life thing. Living on mission is an everyday life thing. As I mentioned, the story that we're looking at uh, is commonly referred to as Paul's second missionary journey. And it just made me wonder, did Paul ever refer to his missionary journeys by number? I don't think he did. I think for him, it was just life. It was just him being him in life. In other words, mission wasn't just what happened on the road on a missionary journey. Mission was whatever he was doing wherever he was at. I mean, there might have been a break from travel, but there was not a break from mission. There was no off-season for Paul. Wherever he was at, he was at work preaching, teaching, and helping the believers, helping the saints to understand the, the gospel of grace. And reflecting on this, it's a reminder for us that there are no breaks in the Christian life. We don't clock out as Christians. I know that when I say that, <laughs> it might sound kind of exhausting. Like, oh my goodness, here's one of these talks where you just go, get out on a mission, get out on a mission, come on. There's no breaks. And hear me out here, that's not what I'm saying. Hear me on this. Let's remember that a Christian isn't first and foremost an activity that we do. It's an identity that we receive. It's an identity that we've been given. You see, the Christian life is a noun before it's a verb. Or if you like words that rhyme, it's a who before a do. Oh, the pastor said he liked Eminem last week. I just thought he should throw in some rhymes. It's a who before a do. It's about who we are before what we do. So as you, as you can see, you and I, we don't take a break from who we are. Good luck. <laughs> We don't take a break from who we are. The, and and the, the Christian life is not something that we are trying to earn. We are living a life expressing it. We're expressing what we have already been, been given. And what have we been given? We've been given Jesus Christ. We've been given His life. We've been given His life, not just His life for us on the cross, but we've been given His life to us. His life, Christ's life in us, longing to express itself in everyday life. And this is actually really good news, because if you think about it, everyday life is your missionary journey. Your everyday life is a missionary journey. All the mundane, everyday life moments, all the conversations that you have with your kids, with your spouse, with your neighbors, with your coworkers, all of that, all of it counts as a missionary journey. Your missionary journey began when God saved you and Jesus moved in. And as we learn to trust and depend on the indwelling Christ, He will begin to express Himself through us wherever we are. A missionary moment can happen at any moment in time. When we live, we're expressing Jesus. And this gets me excited because the mission of Seacoast is not just what happens here on a Sunday or on the plaza or online, there, you know, when we gather together. I love this. I love when we get to talk about the gospel, sing about the gospel, see each other. But the mission of Seacoast doesn't just happen here on Sundays. It gets me excited because we get to scatter. We get to go. And if you have Christ in you, wherever you go, Jesus is there. 
I love to think that, man, when we all scatter and we all go to the places and the spaces that we inhabit all throughout the week, that Jesus is there. If Christ is in you, whatever you are up to, that's what Jesus is up to. And it's, he's present in all the everyday stuff of life. I love thinking about what Jesus is up to in you, in your workplace, in your home, in your neighborhood, on that Zoom call, on these text messages, like whatever, whatever interactions that you're having. I love thinking, man, there's all, all of Seacoast is out there right now. Jesus is in them. They're, and what, God, what are you up to right now? Who are you blessing? Where are you bringing life? You see, wherever you go, if Christ is in you, you, you have a link to life. You represent a link to life. And again, the mission, I love it when people invite people to come here on Sunday, but the mission isn't just about getting people to show up to church on a Sunday. You see, salvation isn't just about getting people into church. Salvation is about Christ getting into people. And he loves to use you and I to do that in everyday life. So note to self, living on mission is an everyday life thing. That's first. Second, note to self, People need ongoing love and encouragement. People need ongoing love and encouragement. Notice what the impetus, the impulse for Paul getting back on the road. Look, notice what that is. It's to revisit the churches that they had spent time with on their first missionary journey. Verse 36, Paul said to Barnabas, let's return and visit the brethren in every city in which we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. Let's see how they are. I mean, Paul could have said, Barnabas, bro, dude, we killed it. That first journey, that was so sick. We planted so many churches. Let's get out there again. We got to do more. Let's go plant so many more churches. Are you with me? But he didn't say that. We, we typically think that more equals better, right? That, that, that's, that's the typical thinking. But no, he says this. He says, let's go to where we were. Let's see how they're doing. Let's check in on them. You see, it wasn't just about parachuting in, dumping the gospel on people, and then peacing out. Good luck! No, no, Paul, he has this care and this concern. If you read his letters, like the, the, the care and the concern that he has is so self-evident. It's laced throughout his letters. He has a clear love for people. I love in what he wrote to the church in Thessalonica. He says this in 1 Thessalonians 2, 8. Because we loved you so much, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. Not only the gospel, but our lives as well. You see, we are designed to be encouraged and to encourage others. We need encouragement. We need people in our life who will give us those attaboys, those attagirls, to let us know that we're, we're, we're doing a great job to fill our tanks to encourage us to keep on keeping on with eyes fixed on Jesus. And we talk a lot about Paul's letters to the churches, and those were fantastic, and those were so important, but here what we see is his desire to be physically present with them, to be with them, to see how they're doing. And we need the hugs, the handshakes, the high fives. We need that. We need people to, who know us, who will check in with us, who will pray for us. And this is why we make a big deal about community here. This is why we talk about life groups, DNA groups, Bible studies, getting connected, getting relationally connected. They, these are places that provide an ongoing time and place for us to 
receive encouragement and to give encouragement. So, so important. So, note to self, we all need ongoing love and encouragement. The third one, note to self, life on mission is not a solo sport. Another quick observation here from, from verse 36 is just the fact that Paul doesn't function as a lone ranger. No, he, he, he doesn't treat his mission as a solo sport. He's a bringer. He says to Barnabas, Barnabas, let's go. You and me, come with me. Let's go and do this together. You see, he's a bringer, and this is huge. In the same way that, that Paul needed a team, I mean, you and I, we need a team. We need people in our life. I remember several years ago, it was like right after Archer was born, we had LDS missionaries come and knock at our door, started talking with them, and it was like, this is a really bad time. Paige <laughs> is off to the side over here with his newborn crying. It was a bad time, but we set up some time. I'm like, hey, let's, get, let's put something on the, the calendar, come back, and we'll actually have some discussion. And so we got something scheduled on the calendar. It was sweet. And then I thought to myself, you, get, you all come in pairs? I'm coming in pairs. Let's go. So I called Gavin. You guys remember Gavin maybe? maybe Gavin, one of our young adults at the time, he comes over. And uh, so we had dinner and this great discussion with these LDS missionaries. It, was, it, it went really, really well. But the best part about it was after they left was getting to debrief together getting to talk about it. You see, the, mi the ministry that was going on wasn't just us coming together and having this conversation with the LDS missionaries. No, the ministry was also to one another. As we got to debrief and discuss and, uh, you know, talk about the questions that we had of our faith, the issues of our faith, the questions that we had, and we got to encourage one another with the truth. That was the ministry that I needed. You see, I know it's tempting for us to think that the stronger we are, the more capable we are, the more competent we might be, the less, that, less we need people. But the truth is that you and I, we are designed to need. We're designed to need each other. And living every day on mission is strengthened and enhanced by coming alongside one another. Ecclesiastes 4, 9 and 10 says, Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity the fool, that's my Mr. T translation, pity the one who falls and has no one to help them up. You see, we, we are limited beings. And our limitations, we have limitations, and these are significant implications for a life on mission. You see, no single person possesses all of the gifting, the, the personality, the ability, the capacity in order to reach everyone that we as a church have been called to reach. And if we are going to do what God has called us to do and reach who God's called us to reach, it's going to require all of us showing up and doing our part. And, here's the kicker, allowing people to show up for us. So instead of convincing ourselves or pretending that we don't need others because we don't want to be seen as weak or incompetent, let's learn to rejoice in our limitations. Let's embrace our limitations and lean on the strengths of others. I wonder how many of us are, 
are feeling so alone because we're so afraid of asking for help. The truth is that our limitations, our weaknesses, we've said this before, our limitations are in our weaknesses, they're not a liability. They're actually a way by which other people can love us. Our limitations, our, our weaknesses are the avenue by which we can receive the love of another person. So, note to self, life on mission, it's not a, a solo sport. Who can you come alongside of? Who can you invite to come alongside of you? Okay, so, so far this is great. Mission, everyday, mission is everyday life. Let's encourage one another. Don't do it alone. And then we get to number four. Note to self, life on mission can be messy and will be painful. So I want you to picture it. Paul, he's sitting there. He's hanging with Barnabas. He's like, bro, it's time to go. It's time to go. Let's go visit those churches that, we, that we've planted. Let's go. Let's get out there. Let's go encourage them. Let's go see how they're doing. Barnabas is like, dude, I'm so in. I'm so in. Yes, let's go. Let's go. And we maybe hit, hit up that one hole in the wall place. Remember the drunken noodle there? That was amazing. Let's go there. Okay. But here, one thing though, one thing. I, I really want us to take John Mark with us. I want to give him another shot. I believe in him. I don't want to give up on him. I want to give him another shot. You guys remember back in Acts 13 on the first journey? John Mark bailed. We don't know why, but he left. And now, you want to bring John Mark with us? Whoa, 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 wait. What? There's literally no chance that that dude is coming with us. He bailed on us. He deserted us. There's literally no chance. No, no, no. I want to give him a second chance. Come on, man. He's got a lot of potential. He's my cousin. Let's, I want to I bring cuz with me. Come on. No, he's not coming. Uh, yes, he is. No, he's not. Yes, no, yes. Back and forth. And notice what verse 39 says. There occurred such a sharp disagreement that they separated from one another. And Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. Took his mark and I'm going home. He just bailed. He left. Are you kidding me? I thought this whole Christianity, Christianity thing was supposed to be about forgiveness, about grace, and here we have the two leaders who can't even agree. They've, neither one of them is backing down. What in the world is going on? Well, first, I want to say that I actually am I'm very thankful that Luke, who's, author, who's authoring this, I'm glad that he typed this up and hit send. <laughs> I love that the story is included. If I was Paul or Barnabas, I'd be like, dude, stop recording. You know, <laughs> put the camera down. Give me that tape. Delete it. But it's included here. And, you know, we, we typically think that what God wants to use is just our highlight reel, you know, all of our successes. But no, this shows us that God is he's very much interested in using the blooper reel as well. That the bloopers can be used. God's not afraid of that. And so we don't know why John Mark originally left on the earlier trip. We just know that he did, and Paul, he felt deserted. But the question that I wonder, and I think everyone wonders at this point, was like, who is right? There's this argument, there's this debate going on, and we just we feel like we have to know, like, who's the right, what, like, who do I side with? 
And from Paul's perspective, John Mark, I mean, he had deserted them to return home, and perhaps John Mark, he couldn't be trusted. You know, from Paul, for Paul, the ministry was too important. We're doing God's work here. It's too important uh, and too demanding to enlist someone who might be very unreliable. Can't count on them. The work is too important. And from Barnabas's perspective, sure, John Mark had bailed, but again, he deserves a second chance. He's got a lot of potential. I don't, I don't want to give up on him. And if you know anything about Barnabas, if you remember from the previous weeks, this is the kind of guy that Barnabas was. I mean, he was the one who originally stepped in for Paul. When Paul wanted to meet with the apostles, they were afraid of him. They're like, dude, like he, there's no chance we're meeting with that guy. We know his story. Barnabas is the one who, who steps up and is like the diplomatic one who brokers the deal and gets Paul and the, the apostles together. He, he vouched for Paul. He stepped in for him. I can't help but to think, man, we all need a Barnabas in our life. Someone who will stand by us no matter what. But again, the question is, who was right? Luke doesn't seem to care. And maybe we shouldn't either. After all, it doesn't really make much of a difference. Perhaps both of them were right on some things, wrong on other things. And I think there's room in the kingdom for both. For both a Paul and a Barnabas. I love how one commentator put it. He said, Paul looked at people and asked, what can they do for God's work? While Barnabas looked at people and asked, what can God's work do for them? Both questions are important to the Lord's work, and sometimes it is difficult to keep things balanced. See, there's going to be plenty of times where we don't get it right. There's going to be plenty of times where we don't get it right. Again, life is messy. Ministry is messy. And just because you're a part of the family of God does not mean it's going to be squeaky clean. In fact, it's going to be really, really messy at times. As we said before, this side of heaven, we will all be wounded by others, and we will wound others. We will be hurt, and we will hurt. We will feel pain, and we will cause pain. Think about even the irony of the note to self, the earlier one, where it's like, we need each other. Don't do it alone. <laughs> I mean, that getting into those kinds of relationships, I mean, that's oftentimes where we experience the deepest wounding are in those deep relationships. They say that deep is dangerous. Deep is dangerous, and it's true. It can also be very redemptive. But it's in relationships where we, we oftentimes experience our deepest wounds, and again, this is not a bad thing because it also means that this is an opportunity for us to give and to receive love and grace and to grow in our understanding of God's unconditional love for us so note to self life on mission is messy it can be painful we will wound and we will be wounded which makes the fifth and final note to self that much sweeter number five note to self the story isn't over the story isn't over. Grace can bring together what we break apart. So, that split that happened, that must have been super painful, but we do know that there was at least a few positive results. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus, and Paul chose Silas and left, and then they went and strengthened the churches. So instead of one missionary team, now there's two. Woo! 
There's growth. John Mark, he gets a second chance. And if tradition is correct, John Mark, he ends up being, working really closely with Peter and ends up writing the Gospel of Mark. It's not a bad comeback story. We see Silas gets recruited. He gets brought along. You see the ministry is expanding. You see there's, there's church splits and there's church plants. And then there's what we call a church splant. <laughs> and those can be hard. As disturbing and painful as those conflicts are, and unfortunately they're very common throughout church history, what we need to know is that God is able to overrule and accomplish his purposes. And stories like this actually give us hope that God can take the debris of our lives and our decisions and our mistakes, and he can turn it and use it for good. And so the ministry, positive result, the ministry expands to two teams, which is positive. And if that's all we knew, if that's all that had happened, I mean, that would be great. That would be enough. But we know more. There's more that we learn later on. Again, note to self, the story isn't over. God's grace can bring together what we have broken apart. We don't know when it happened. We don't know how it happened. But we do know that Paul and John Mark were eventually reconciled. How do we know this? Well, in several places in Paul's letters, he mentions Mark. Not as a, in a negative way, <laughs> but check this out. In 2 Timothy, Paul, days, weeks, so close to his execution, near the end of his life, he writes this to a young pastor named Timothy. He says this in 2 Timothy 4, only Luke is with me. Get Mark. Get Mark and bring him with you because he is helpful to me in my ministry. Isn't that beautiful? You see, the unstoppable power of grace had made its way into Paul and John Mark's relationship. That same unstoppable power that started and birthed the church had made its way into their relationship and brought healing. You guys cruise back up. The thing is, if Paul, if he reconciled with John Mark, the assumption is, is that he would have also reconciled with Barnabas. And there is no evidence whatsoever of anyone holding any grudges in this whole thing. See, grace can bring together what we have broken apart. And that's exactly what the gospel announces. The gospel announces that grace, that God, by, through Jesus Christ, has brought together what sin has separated. You see, the gospel is good news for us, too. It's good news for us, too. We talk about life on mission. We talk about going and expressing Christ, but before we do that, we have to understand that it's not just good news for everyone else, it's good news for you and me. It's good news for us where we are at, and no matter what our story is, no matter what's going on in our life, at this time, this place, wherever we find ourselves at the end of this week, at the end of this month, at the end of this year, no matter what we have coming our way, we have Christ in us. You see, we, we look at Acts and we see the baby book of the church but guess what? The gospel announces, I mean, there's a, there's a different baby book. 
It means you have been taken out of your old family line and you've been placed into a new family line, the line of Christ. That you are a child of God. And so as we go, as we leave this place, as we scatter, let's go knowing that we go as his kids, fully indwelt with the Spirit, united to Jesus. And wherever we go, we take Jesus with us. And that is really, really good news for life on mission. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, God, for all that you have done. Lord, I thank you for this story. Not only that it teaches us what life on mission can look like and will look like, Lord, but we see a picture of the harsh realities of the pain, the wounds, all of those things that we will encounter. But God, we need not worry, we need not despair. Your grace is sufficient. So God, wherever the pain is, wherever the broken relationships are in our family, God, would you press in your grace deep so that we would, we would see the liberating power of your grace at work in our life. And God, that we might put that on display and express that to a world that longs and needs hope. I thank you for this church these people, this family, God, that we get to do this alongside of together. Just thank you, God, for who you are and for your presence in us today. In your name.